I went through a big trauma earlier this year where I really just, I got very angry at the universe and I just threw my towel in. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is ridiculous. I can't find meaning in this. I don't understand it. And I think when you are in those moments, whether it's grief or heartache or whatever you're experiencing, it's okay. Like it's okay to lose faith in those moments. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say, but I think we can't always find meaning in things at the time, but in hindsight, when time passes in retrospect, there's always a silver lining and there's always a gift in those moments. Life gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons, into lemonade. Because we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Jordana Levine is one guest I've wanted to feature on Lemonade for some time now, and I think a few minutes into this chat, you'll understand why. Jordana is a writer, podcast host, former food journalist, yoga teacher, and published author of Make It Happen and Higher Love, the go-to guide when it comes to love and relationships. So much of what Jordana said during our chat landed for me, literally forcing me to stop and process the truth bomb she just dropped. We discussed why limiting beliefs are holding us back, how it can be really hard to understand the lessons when we're in the thick of emotional turmoil, how earlier in the year she lost faith in the universe and everything she believed in, and the many practical things we can all do to raise our personal vibration to manifest the life of your dreams. And it doesn't involve dancing around a fire, but by all means, go ahead if that feels right. Here's Jordana. Jordana, welcome to Lemonade. It's such a pleasure to have you on here. I've been wanting you on for so long, so I'm so thrilled we've made this work. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I've been begging you to let me on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's the other way. I'm always like, how can I just fit everything Jordana does into everything I do? (laughs) Somehow I have to find a way. So yeah, it's so great to see you and you just look like a glowing, beautiful goddess. So although people listening can't hear that, they can't see you, but know that she's does. I'm glowing. Now, Jordana, I, um, as I referenced to you just before we, um, we started recording, that I'm starting my podcast in a new way now and I'm asking all my guests a vulnerable question and you did groan. <laughs> well, I was just a bit, just a bit terrified, but sure, let's it, do it. It picks at random. Okay. And so I'm going to draw it now. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay. I picked it now. What is the one thing you always do, not because you like it, but because you want someone's approval? Oh, it's the one thing I always do, not because I like it, but because I want someone's approval. It's a bit of a full on one. <laughs> Welcome to just, Lemonade. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I mean, part of me wants to say, I don't do that anymore, but of course I do. Of course I do. So let me. Even if you can think of a past example where, Matt, you might have done it would be. Oh, well, I mean, in the past, I had zero boundaries. So I would just do anything 
wanting to please anybody at all times, <laughs> no matter how it made me feel. Look, I guess the, you know, the biggest thing that comes up for me and I guess that most people would resonate with is when we sort of like becomes, become too flexible in relationships. Yep. You know, and I don't mean that in the literal sense of <laughs> flexible in the bedroom, although I'm sure I've been flexible there sometimes as well. But yeah, you're a yoga, you're a yoga teacher, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> that was not what I meant. <laughs> Start this again. No, I just meant being so flexible for people, yep. you know, to, to make sure that they're happy and you're sort of like, yeah, throwing your, your happiness to the side. Do you, what do you think you've done to try and, I don't want to say overcome that, but try and, I guess, reduce that people-pleasing tendency, would we say? Is that what it is? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, don't, I don't really know what happened, but I've almost become the opposite of a people-pleaser where I have to really take the time to consider <laughs> if everyone around me is, is happy because um, although my happiness is paramount, it's also really important that people in your life <laughs> is happy as well. So um, I think, I don't know, I think I came out of quite a toxic relationship and also toxic work relationship mm-hmm where I was forced to put up boundaries in order to be able to survive in the world again. And I think through doing that, I realized that when I was compromising who I was as a person, who I show up as every day to keep, you know, someone I'm in relationship with happy or to keep my boss happy at my own expense, it just wasn't worth it. So I think it was this slow sort of gradual process as I started to build myself back up after both of those experiences. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There always is that tipping point, isn't it, with that behaviour when you're just like, hang on, this is just not sustainable anymore. I'm just not doing this anymore. Exactly. And also I think sometimes, you know, you have those outer body experiences where you look at yourself and you're like, mate, this is not good. Like if you were giving advice to a friend who was in this situation, you wouldn't be standing for any of this. And I think I had those moments several times and I was Mm. like, okay, change things. And we will get so much further into that when we discuss high love and everything all around that. But firstly, I want to kick off with asking you, well, secondly, firstly, my brain is today. (laughs) The second question (laughs) is that I would love to just, um, the listeners to get a bit of a feel for you and your upbringing and what childhood was like for you. So what was that all like? What what was it like growing up for you? Um, It's really great. Like I don't look back at childhood with bad memories at all. Um, I, I grew up in the Eastern suburbs of Sydney. My parents divorced when I was three, but they had a really amicable divorce. Well, what I saw of it was really amicable. So I didn't feel kind of jaded by it at all. I had shared custody with both of them and that was really nice. I had two half brothers um, from my dad's first marriage And that was all a really lovely dynamic. And then my dad remarried and had my younger brother and sister. um, And we all sort of grew up together, you know, feeling like full siblings. Um, When I I first left school, my mum moved up north towards Byron Bay and my dad and my siblings moved down to the Southern Highlands. Um, onto like a farm and it sort of became farm life down there so I was able to kind of split my time between the two places that is the dream 
That is yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. It was really, really nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, childhood, childhood was always really beautiful. I felt very nurtured by both parents. I went to a performing arts school when I was in primary school. So we did lots of dancing and mm. acting and I had lots of time for play. And then in high school, yeah, sort of went to a private all girls school, which was a bit tough for me. I think wasn't really my jam. Um, but yeah, made some beautiful friends and I, I mean, there's nothing really sorted or interesting to say about it. No, it's always just lovely to get a bit of a glimpse into, I guess. I feel like childhood just gives such a grounding into what, I don't know, how you'll grow up and what you'll be. And like hearing that you went to performing arts school and you grew up between these two amazing places, I think just makes, I don't know, I think it makes a lot of sense talking to you yeah. where that groundedness comes from as well, but also creativity too with. Yeah. Well, I think the most interesting thing actually about my parents and the reason they got I mean, not the reason they got divorced, but one of the many reasons I would say is my mom is very <laughs> spiritual, bit of a hippie. I mean, less so as she's gotten older, but when I was a kid, she was. Um, and my dad was like corporate businessman, you know. And so I think that's where the two sides of my personality come from as well. I've got this real sort of dichotomy between spirituality and like this like quite almost conservative practical side to me. That is so funny. My question literally is next about what I love following you is the way you fuse your roots in media and journalism with a passion for spirituality. So it's literally exactly what yeah. you just said. Were you, so I guess, were you always interested in spirituality because of what your mum was like? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was just such an, uh, integral part of growing up that I never kind of looked at it as anything other than normal. I mean, the house, you know, there was always incense burning in the house. There were crystals everywhere. Mum used to do tarot readings from the house. Um, it was just, it was just the way it was. So I never really thought it was special or different. Um, and I guess it was only as I got older and realized, especially when I went to the all girls private Catholic girls school, that that wasn't really what was going on at home for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, but it, it's definitely, it's been, it's been a funny experience actually. I'm writing about it at the moment. I, because it, I kind of grew up around it, I almost rejected it as I got to my twenties because I was sort of like, I don't know. It, it, it was a bit of a rebellion and I didn't really like the way that it was becoming like trendy and, yeah. and, and fad-like. And I was like, oh, I've had enough. And I kind of pushed it away for a while. And then I slowly started to rediscover the important bits of it and not just the bits that were like the pretty dream catchers and the crystals and the, you know, purple velvet or whatever it might be. But like, but then like connecting, I guess, within and, and turning to self-development to improve yourself. Are they, are they the kinds of things? Yeah. Sort of like, I guess what it came down to for me was the self-awareness piece, mm -hmm. because I think even with personal development, I found myself, which we all do, like reading all of these personal development books and signing up to courses and doing all these things and, and it not actually making a difference. Mm. And then when I kind of got to the point where I was like, well, I think the message beneath all of this stuff is to look at yourself and be constantly reflecting on who you are and what role you play and how you show up in your own life. And once that kind of clicked, then I felt like I could really understand spirituality on a much deeper level and also all of that personal development and self-help work. 
There's such a common thread between all of your work. Uh, self-awareness is such a common thread between all of your work, really. What does being self-aware mean to you? I think it means a lot of different things, but I think there's kind of three aspects to self-awareness. There's the curiosity curiosity piece and like really asking questions about why things play out the way they are and the role that you play in that. Why am I like this? Why did I react that way? How could I have reacted differently? So the curiosity piece is massive. Then I think there's this level of acceptance with self-awareness. It's like, okay, I can, if I can accept that about myself, whether it's a strength or a weakness, I see it for what it is. And then I have all this power Mm. to make choices going forward. But I think if we constantly make excuses or we reject parts of ourselves, then we can't really allow ourselves to participate in life actively because we're sort of like suppressing all of these things that are really parts of who we are. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third piece is the sort of integration and embodiment piece, because I think if we go back to all of that personal development and self-awareness work, if we're doing it all, but we're not actually living and breathing it, then there's actually no point in getting curious or accepting it if we can't become it, you know? So yeah, I think they're the different levels of self-awareness. And I think the beautiful thing about self-awareness is we all have access to it. You know, we don't have to go and buy anything. We don't have to read anything. We just are it. And I think what's so fascinating about it too, self-awareness, is like this double-edged sword that the more you know about yourself and the more aware you are, almost it's almost like harder. <laughs> like life is almost a little bit harder because you're not in this ignorance bubble anymore. But then on the, and the, on the other side of the coin, it's also almost so much richer and so much more meaningful life is. Exactly. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it's funny. I've had that conversation with a few people this week where, you know, because the book I'm writing at the moment is about self-awareness and they'll say to me, oh God, I think I'm too self-aware sometimes, you know, like it's this really bad thing, but I get where they're coming from because you're right, ignorance is bliss. And once you kind of like pull that ignorance away and can really see yourself, you become responsible for it, right? If you're ignoring it and you pretend like it's not there, there's no responsibility, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking back to the time in my life. I thought was, I just, I'm like, I just had no idea what was going on and gee, it was blissful. <laughs> it wasn't a, oh my God. I, I was talking about that actually with an ex-boyfriend the other day. He's just turned 40, 40. And, um, we used to date when we were in our early twenties. Oh and I was like, do you remember how nice it was? Do you remember how ignorant we were? We had no idea how the world worked. It was the best. <laughs> well, that feeling, it was like, I think of those times where I'm like, oh, I don't think I want to be with this person anymore. Or, you, you know, you, you get over the relationship, you move past it and you're like, there'll be someone so much more, so much better feeling this space. Absolutely. <laughs> it didn't happen. Like it was just so much easier. Seen your old boyfriend. <laughs> Um, Now, I'd love to hear a little bit about what made you want to get into media and journalism as well. It's a a really good question. I have to say, I've always been a... I've always been a natural communicator, but I don't think I was cognizant of that when I decided to get into media and journalism. I think what it was is I knew I loved writing Mm. and I went to see the careers counsellor and journalism was pretty much all you could do if you enjoyed writing. I mean, was it the same for you? Yes, that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, that was the only option. And I remember they just wheeled out like a piece an ex-student 10 years earlier had written in the age and it's like, this could be you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was super appealing too. Yeah, I was like, totally. Cool. 
right. Um, so that's what I did. And I realized when I was studying that I actually, funnily enough, because that's not where I've ended up, but I actually enjoyed like radio and television journalism more than I did uh, newspaper what it was at the time, I guess it was newspaper. I ended up in magazines um, and I ended up in food publishing for a really long time. And that was accidental as well. I, ha- I was working in a cafe while I was studying and one of our regular customers was a executive producer on the Today Show. Um, and at the time, Nine owned ACP as well, which was the big publishing company in Sydney. And he said to me, he's like, let me know what magazines you want to work at and I'll try and get you an internship at your top five and gourmet traveler happened to be in my top five and that's where I ended up oh my god Um, that would have been so good oh my god it was the best it was so good so I worked for gourmet traveler and gourmet uh, traveler wine for a really long time and then eventually I got paid work with them and then moved on to all the different food magazines. And I spent almost 10 years in food publishing. It was fantastic. It was such a great experience. And I guess, you know, what I was doing that whole time, because I did develop this love for food, I became a big foodie, was being able to share my pleasure and my passions through the medium of writing or speaking or whatever it might be. And I realized how much power that held. And so when I finally got out of food publishing um, and I started working for myself, what I found was the things that that were really important to me um, became the topics that I started to write about and started to do podcasts about and started to, you know, do online workshops about. And it is, it's all about communication. And I think if you have, I think it's something you can learn, but I think if you have a natural skill for it, it's like um, you can bring relatability to it. You create emotional connection. You can be clear and concise with your message. I think that's a gift that needs to be shared because there's, if you look at, if you look at communication in the world, there's so much miscommunication that it's really important that we're getting it right. And so much information, so much just information overload as well, which I think is well why your everything you've done always really cuts through. Because I I remember listening, I've listened to your podcast, Luna Lover, but it was called something else between before Luna Lover, wasn't it? What was it called? Yeah, it was called it was called the Inspired Table. Yes, I listened to that. Yeah, OG. Yeah, I remember listening to that. Um, and then it changed to Luna Lover, and then I think we started. That's the time we started chatting. Um, and I feel like this is so Gemini because we've already of you for talking to a Gemini guest because this is like the sixth topic that you you do now we talk about moon cycles <laughs> and living in accordance to the moon um welcome to my world <laughs> we're on to the next tab now um Very complicated. <laughs> what wisdom can be gleaned do you think through aligning your life with uh, the moon cycles, which is what you talk about through this podcast. It's <laughs> just another tab. I just to say to everyone, there is a common thread between all of this. But it's taking spiritual concepts and making them relatable, which is why I started talking about the moon. Because for me, I mean, I, we'd always followed the moon as a kid. Mum, we'd always spoken about it. I always knew what phase it was in. Again, it was just a really normal thing for me. But in saying that, um, I think what the lunar cycle offers us and all 
cycles within the universe do, it reminds us that the world is always spinning and that there is a cycle to everything that happens within within nature. And that goes for us as well. So, you know, in those moments where we're feeling like nothing's going our way, everything feels kind of stagnant and restricted, the way that the universe works is that expansion and lightness has to come next because everything moves in cycles so just as the sun rises the sun will set and the same with the lunar cycle it's got eight phases it moves throughout them every month without fail we always go from a new moon to a full moon a full moon to a new moon and it just brings this level of for me it's consistency and there's a level of safety and security to it as as well and so yeah and so it's so um, it's such an important message right now. That sense of certainty, as you just said, we know the next phase that is going to be there in such an uncertain time in the world. So it's so comforting, like that as well. And touching on what you said then too about um, following these cycles and I guess kind of making it happen. That was mm. then the title of your first book, "Make It Happen." Yes. <laughs> which became the bible for manifesting a life of your dreams what was the catalyst to write that make it happen it came very very closely came from these moon events that i was running in sydney called lunar night so that's how lunar lover was born through lunar lights lunar nights i started running them because i had all of this information about the lunar cycle that i'd learnt growing up and I kind of got to a stage where a few friends were like, what is it that we do on the new moon again? And what do we do on the full moon? I forgot. And so I started writing emails to people, like to friends, and then they'd forward it to them, their friends. And then we sort of started building up an email list and it went from like 20 people to hundreds of people. And I was like, oh, there's something in this. And so I started running monthly new moon events, which, you know, on the new moon, that's when we set our intentions and we manifest. That's the energy behind the new moon. Um, and as I was teaching manifestation, which I didn't really know that much about, um, I was sort of learning as I was going, this sort of equation, this formula for manifestation started to form. And that's what became the basis for Make It Happen. So Make It Happen really is just like a really detailed version of what I used to teach at those nights. And um, it happened It happened really organically. What kind of things were you manif- manifesting in this time that made you kind of realise, oh, I could, sh- I could really share this in a really um, tangible way with people? Well, what actually happened is I was reflect, I was in a state of reflection during that period of my life. It was 2016 when I was starting those uh, new moon circles. And in reflection, I had realized that there was a bunch of stuff in my life that I had made happen that wasn't ideal. And it was that toxic relationship and that toxic work relationship I was talking about, plus all the things that came from both of those things. And when I looked back at them, I realized that although there were, you know, big key players in all of those experiences, I still was taking responsibility for how I reacted throughout them. And it came down to my thoughts and the kind of thoughts that I had about myself and what I was capable of, my feelings at the time and what I allowed myself to feel and what I didn't allow myself to feel, the actions that I took because of the thoughts and the feelings that I was having. And also 
this sort of level of faith. And in those instances, it was not having any faith in myself. And I thought, okay, if I could make all of those things happen, happen based on my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, and my faith, surely I could do it by aligning my thoughts with the things I wanted to create in my life, feeling the things that I wanted to feel in my life, taking action towards the things I wanted to feel and having faith that I was worthy and deserving of those things. And so once I started to kind of flip it over, then yeah, I started to manifest some incredible things in my life. Um, Yeah. I mean, small things, big things, all the things. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I've read that book and I, I, it was so inspiring reading that too, all the things that you had because um, you go into quite a lot of detail about it, all the things that you successfully manifested. It almost seems like magic. But as you just said, it's like this formula that is accessible to anyone. Everyone. And what do you believe are the blocks that are stopping people from manifesting what they really want? Um, I think the biggest block is the self-worth piece. Um, The things in your life that you feel worthy and deserving of, you'll find really easy to manifest. Mm -hmm. And the things in your life that you don't feel worthy and deserving of, you're really going to struggle. And I think if people look at their lives right now and think of the areas of their life where things happen really easily, they can attach their self-worth to that. And it's likely that their self-worth is quite high there. So I think that's the first thing. It's looking at where you're struggling with manifestation and how you can start to feel more deserving of the things you want to create. And then the second thing is limiting beliefs. Mm. I think that we all have a bunch of limiting beliefs about what we think we're capable of and, again, what we're worthy of and looking at where those limiting beliefs came from because beliefs are basically just thoughts we've had over and over over and over again until we believe it to be true. And that's, that's how beliefs formed. And as easy it is to form it, it's just as easy to disprove it, you know? That just flows so effortlessly into asking you about higher love because that is kind of what that is all about is like is, is, is taking a magnifying glass and having a look at um, these blockages and in, partic- in, in, the, in, in the case of higher love, love and relationships, which so many of us have blockages in, I'm not putting out my hand. <laughs> I'm not getting hysterical. Um, and yeah, that's just such a huge thing for women everywhere. Um, it's become like the Bible when it comes to love and relationships and dating. How important, I guess, was it to fuse the information that you had discussed in Make It Happen and bring it across to higher love? And was there a real, did you notice a real need in women needing that kind of information? Well, I mean, yes, in, yes. The, the reason I wrote Higher Love was because there's a whole chapter in Make It Happen about manifesting love and all of the DMs and all of the emails I was getting after Make It Happen came out were about, were about love and relationships. And, you know, it was a big thing for me as well at the time. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think there was a real need for it. But what I've since discovered since Higher Love has been out is that I think people find it really hard to own up to the fact that they actually need help with love. Mm. Yeah, you know. And I think owning be, that is it should be step. easy, right? Like we think it should just be natural and easy, and it shouldn't need assistance. Maybe. Yeah. Well, that's the dream, right? That's the dream. You just walk out of the house, and love just comes to you. But in order for that to happen. There's all of these things that we need to unlearn, 
Yeah. And sort of like decondition within ourselves. And half the time we don't even realize why we, we believe a certain thing or, or why we run a certain story. Um, and that's what higher love basically does. It, it shines a light on you not to say, hey, the reason you're single is because you've done all this stuff wrong. But it's saying, hey, if you want to find the kind of love that you're searching for, let's get really super clear about what it is you want how you want to feel, what lights you up and who you are so that when it comes to attracting a mate using manifestation, we're doing it from this really authentic place. Oh, I love that so much. And I think this is when I was researching you and putting together my questions, I was like, I feel like this is the, your, a really good lemons to lemonade story of yours <laughs> is that you've converted your experiences and what you've learned through dating and relationships and put it in this really easy to understand digestible way for women to um, integrate into their own lives in a world where there's so much information and dating tips and dating advice that just most of the time just don't work. <laughs> And so much confusion in that arena. Yeah, and also are written by men. It's so outrageous how much dating advice is written by men. And I get the angle. Like, I get it's like, hey, you want to pick up a guy? Listen to my tips. But also, that's not what it's about. Like, we need to understand ourselves better as women. And in saying that, higher love has been read by men and enjoyed by men. So you don't have to be a woman to read it. But I mean, I'm a woman and I know, I know womanly things. And so <laughs> it's written, it's written for women. <laughs> no, totally, totally. No. And that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, as you said, I can understand why we, some, you know, when we go to our male friends and like, why is this guy doing this to me? You know, yeah. and then you're like, I just want a male perspective. But a lot of the time that's rooted in how can I change myself to um, be what these what? guys are telling me I should be rather than your you flip that on it in this book on its head and be like, no, what, how do we be who we want to be in ourselves before we are calling someone in? Yeah. And you know what I realized, especially as I got older is that dating's really hard and dating can really, really bruise your ego. Um, and it's really hard <laughs> to stay on track and stay strong and stay true to you and not start compromising who you are for somebody else. And that's why I wrote this book. I mean, it is about helping you find love, definitely, um, from a really practical standpoint, but also from a manifestation standpoint. But more importantly, it's about making sure that you're a whole person while you're doing it, because I think that's what women struggle with the most. And that's when they give up. And that's when they just become, you know, cat ladies. I say, as I've got a kitten sitting on my foot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel like the only alternatives is when you get to that stage is like (laughs) cat ladies or settling (laughs) for something and someone that is just... Sometimes there's nothing even that wrong, bad about them. They're just not your person because, and I feel like that probably happens a lot when we reach our thirties, right? Like it's just like, oh, everyone's kind of taken and gone. So this, this will do. I can't tell you how many times I've thought, all right, this could be it. Like you probably should just stop here. Yeah. And I've been miserable and, you know, I've gotten to the point in my life where I would much rather be single and working on myself than stuck in a relationship that drains me of all of my energy and isn't satisfying. It's not worth it. No. And I have have that tussle all the time too. I just think if I just maybe settle for this person or this person's not too bad, like, you know, but then the thought of being miserable 
is just weighs you down, right? It, just, it as you said, it just sucks everything out of you. It does. And also, I always think I would hate someone to have settled for me. Mm. Like, how insulting! <laughs> when you put it like that, that's so. It's so true. <laughs> um, you settled for me. Great. <laughs> We can say that you can say that in the wedding vows too. It's like I settled for you. There was nobody else. <laughs> oh no, don't say that. Um, when you do look back, do you notice any patterns that? And before you'd done this kind of self work, do you notice any patterns that were unconsciously playing out? Were there similar themes that linked relationships and men that you were dating? Yeah, um, I loved me a narcissist. Same. And I think really important point to talk about not so much the narcissism but looking back on the kind of men that you attract and and I used to say why are narcissists always attracted to me like why do I always end up with narcissists some people might say you know why are Scorpios always attracted to me why do I always end up with them and the fact of the matter is is that you are attracted to them and you are attracting them. So it's something that you're doing. That is not a coincidence that you're always dating narcissists. You know, well, it's not like they seek you out, but something. <laughs> I'm laughing not like, because the two examples you gave, Scorpios and narcissists, why do I attract them? I'm like both of them are my thing, Scorpios and narcissists. <laughs> What is that? What is that about? Oh. I'll tell, we'll talk about Scorpios in a minute because I'll tell you what it is. But um, with narcissists for me, and maybe you can relate, they're super charming. Mm. They come across as really confident. At first, they're trying to woo you. So they do everything in their power to make you feel so, 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 so special. But then, you know, the veil starts to fall and really it's all just about them. And it's got nothing to do with you. You could have been anybody. You're not special. So, um, but that was what would tempt me in. And I, I had to really sit back and go, all right, you need to be able to decipher between someone who is charming you and someone who is charming, you know, they're two separate things. I always think of like vampires, like glamoring you. That's what a narcissist does. So it's like working out what it is you love about someone who's charming and it's someone who's confident, someone in, who's secure in who, they are, in, in who they are, someone who has a good level of self-worth, all the things you want within yourself, right? And that's what you're attracted to in those people. But being able to sort of see, like reading between the lines, I guess. Well, that landed so deep. I had to actually sit back. <laughs> so are you uh, about the charming piece? Are they charming or are they just charming you? That is going to definitely be a journal prompt later. <laughs> and as to Scorpios, I think oh, yeah. they are at first, they've got two sides to them, but they can be really intense in like a passionate, seductive way. It's really seductive. They can be quite open about their feelings until they shut down completely. But when they are open about their feelings, it's really, again, seductive. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. And they've got this like mystery and sexiness to them. And it is very alluring, but, and this is not, all Scorpios. If you're listening and you're a Scorpio, I'm not meaning to offend you, but the shadow side of it can be that they have a really, really sharp sting mm. and um, they can completely shut down on you. Just shut you out completely. Yeah. And just move on. Like you never existed. It can be very 
very brutal. Do you think toxic dynamics, <laughs> do you think toxic dynamics or these unhealthy relationships that we're speaking about, like, do we all need that one of those in our lifetime to kind of grow and learn what we actually want in a partner? I, I would like to say no, because I don't feel like everybody needs to experience toxicity, but if you have experienced it, I think that the best way to look at it is as a growth exercise. Um, I've got girlfriends who, you know, married their childhood sweetheart, their high school sweetheart and have never experienced heartbreak before. And, you know, as beautiful as that is, and I'm so envious of it, I do think that they are missing out on certain experiences and certain life lessons that they're never going to have access to that you can only Mm. experience during heartbreak. You know? oh, it's like you're reading my questions that I've got next for you. Cause my le- next question is <laughs> what has heartbreak taught you? <laughs> it is so yeah. I mean, so many things every time my heart breaks, I've, I've probably had, I mean, I used to just think the end of every relationship was heartbreak, but I think true, true, true heartbreak. I've probably experienced three times. Mm -hmm. And I think through each heartbreak, it's been a new lesson. Thank God, because if you're repeating the same lessons every time, that's just a recipe for disaster. But I think you do, you learn so much about yourself. It's the self-awareness piece again. And it's not saying, what did I do to cause this heartbreak? But what can I learn from it going forward? And how has it changed me? What will I do differently? What will I try and do again? you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's such a good thing to, that you pe- pointed out then. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go and find someone completely different and do something completely different because there were parts of, there probably when you look back at the relationships and I know when I do, it's like, no, I liked that part of me and I don't want that part of me that trusts and believes, you know, to disappear or go like that is something that is necessary for this n- next stage or next relationship. Like it doesn't all have to be bad or um, vanished, I suppose. No, absolutely not. And sometimes it's just one thing that needed to be different. But if that one thing is important to you and you value highly and you couldn't compromise on it and they couldn't compromise on it, then that's enough. And that's not to say that you can't find that with somebody else. So yeah, it's getting really, really clear on what it is you value in relationships and if that was being met and how you want to feel and if you were able to feel those feelings Mm. in that relationship or not. Mm. I think you're such a testament in everything you do to following your heart and the universe will open up to you. It'll follow you. It'll it'll, It'll almost feel, you know, what the, the space that you're opening up, it will fill it with something that maybe you didn't even dream about you wanted, but it'll, it'll come in a, in a different way, in a different, pa- in different package. Were you always this way, do you think? Do you think you always had this innate sense within you? Um, no, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was like, maybe as a kid, uh, but no, definitely not. I used to try and think of the worst outcome so that if it happened, I wouldn't be too disappointed because I'd already thought about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a very, very conscious change in thinking for me to not 
think like that all the time because I realized that when I was doing that, I was putting energy behind it. And, you know, by thinking about it and feeling as if it already happened, well, it may as well have already happened. And most of the time it, it would happen. So what I've tried to do now is I'm not an eternal optimist at all, but what I do try and do is think, okay, so what, what's the ideal outcome here? Mm. And if the our ideal outcome is not reached, it's not because I wasn't worthy or deserving of it. It's because something better is on the way. And I think that is how we should live our life because if we look at 2020 and we look at 2021, I can't speak for everyone, but I know that I have had one shit thing happen after another. Did I make them happen? No, I don't think so. But I do think they happened for me. Yeah. I think they happened for me so that I could extract lessons for them so that I become a richer person going forward. Were there, um, and you just mentioned the last year or two years have been tough. Were there times in, in that where your faith in a higher purpose or the universe felt shaky and felt rocky and you just thought this just isn't making sense with what should be happening? Absolutely. I went through, I went through a big trauma earlier this year where I really just, I got very angry at the universe and I just threw my towel in. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is ridiculous. I can't find meaning in this. I don't understand it. And I think when you are in those moments, whether it's grief or heartache or whatever you're experiencing, it's okay. Like it's okay to lose faith in those moments. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say, but I think we can't always find meaning in things at the time, but in hindsight, when time passes in retrospect, there's always a silver lining and there's always a gift in those moments. And I think understanding that that's how life works. And if we go back to the cycles, you know, if you're experiencing those deaths and you're experiencing those losses, the natural cycle of things is that there will be a rebirth. Oh, I just had all the tingles you saying that and felt a little bit teary. It was really beautiful because I do, I felt that before too, where you just, I felt like I've lost faith so many times and I've never really heard of anyone. I don't know, like wellness types on Instagram and stuff. You just never see people talking about that really. Um, you know, it's like, it's, you know, there's a lesson, it's a higher purpose and everything happens for a reason. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And you just think this is, is this everything I've believed in? Bullshit. Yeah, essentially. I had that a few times this year. It's like, I don't know if I have written the right things in all these books that I've been writing. <laughs> Is it not true? What have I been doing? Because you question it. And I think, I think that's healthy. I think it's healthy to question what we believe constantly, you know, and if you're not questioning your beliefs, then you're not showing self-awareness because we should be able to our, our beliefs can shift and change and it's good to be challenged by your own thoughts sometimes and your own belief systems. And, you know, whatever I went through this year, I now look back on it months later and I can see the reasons behind it and I can see how I've grown and learned from it. And I think, I think that is living a rich life. Mm. You know, if you could just make all the great things happen all the time. It'd be really boring. You know, you'd lose the um not just the essence of it but like the weight of it you know yeah absolutely what does living in alignment with your purpose and living in alignment with um the universe mean and look look like to you i think 
Look, I think there's no sort of like formula for it. I'd like to say things feel easeful. You feel in flow, you feel expanded, like all those things. And they are true. But I think that when we are in alignment with the universe, it's about having this real sort of clear communication with the universe and understanding that manifestation and creation really is this beautiful dance between action and surrender. So knowing again, that you have responsibility for certain things in your life and you can take action towards them. And sometimes that action is not doing anything. And then the surrender piece, having trust and faith that things will work out as they're meant to, not always the way that you envisage them, but as they're meant to, and that will lead you on a new path and in new directions. And, and when we're in alignment, that comes a lot more naturally, that feels more easeful because you trust it, you have faith in it. If someone's listening and wants to live in this way and wants to feel more driven by their heart and more, and wants to align themselves with their purpose more um, mm. and their potential, what things can they be doing? Well, I think the most simple thing you can do is work out how you feel when you're at your most authentic self. So when you feel like a really great, vibrant version of you and I call that your personal vibration and when it's in alignment you do you feel great you you'll notice that feeling when you're around certain people um you know you sort of like conversation flows easily your posture is really good you feel confident you feel funny you feel clever like all those sorts of things and then you'll notice there's times in your life where you can't access that feeling and you, you stumble on your words and you don't feel comfortable. And it's not about nerves. It's something bigger. It's this energy, you know, and it's working out what things in your life strengthen your vibration and what things in your life weaken your vibration. And if you can continue to do more of the things that strengthen it, you will be in alignment with the universe. You will be able to trust your intuition. You will be able to trust yourself and trust that you're being looked after. And I think, you know, in terms of dating, I think that we all need to sort of like have our own awareness of that and realize, you know, when it just doesn't feel energetically aligned and, and, or it could be, and it's probably not that in your case, but like if you're feeling nervous or if you're a little bit intimidated by them, which isn't a bad thing, like, my dream is actually to be intimidated by the guy I'm dating. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I just feel like there's no challenge there at all. And, you know, I'm like, tell me something smart. Tell me something yes. I don't know. Like <laughs> challenge me in some way. Oh my um, God, so you're in my it brain. Could, <laughs> it could just be those things, you know, and that's okay. And that's why we need to give dating a little bit of a chance. But like you said, I've been on plenty of those dates too, where you're just like, why can't I think of anything funny to say? Why is this conversation not going anywhere? And it, mm. it is just a simple misalignment of energy. And that's really normal. Yeah, that is so true. There's nothing actually wrong with it. And that's going to be something else I can think about later. But back to you, what is next for you? What's, what, what does, I well, know the next few, what does the future look like? um I'm I'm just finishing my third book at the moment it's a sequel to make it happen which was the first book uh and it's called make you happen and it's about self-awareness because what I realized after writing make it happen was um that really kind of gives you the basics for manifestation but until you know who you are 
then manifestation is still going to be a really hard game um, because, you know, as much as we want to manifest what we want, we're actually manifesting who we are in each and every moment. So if we can really sort of get a very clear idea about who we are as a whole person mm. and really nurture that, being aware of both our strengths and our weaknesses, then creating things in our life will become so much more easeful. Oh, I can't wait for that. Do you have a release date for that yet? Yeah, if everything goes to plan, because sometimes things don't, but it's looking at March 2022. Oh my God, amazing. Not that far away though. No pressure. (laughs) Amazing. Now, Jordana, I finish all my interviews in the same way with the same question. And I'd love to know what the Jordana now in front of me would tell the Jordana in her most difficult moments, please. Yeah, I think it would be the faith it would be the faith piece it would be trust trust in yourself and trust that there is something greater than you that's looking out for you at all times and for me that's the universe and I I feel like when I was younger I kind of like had this concept of what the universe was but I didn't really put any faith or trust in it and I think if you know younger me could have just lent into that a little bit more then things wouldn't have felt so out of my grasp and so out of reach. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for this chat. I loved every moment of it. Thank you. Thank you. What what fun. That was yeah. so fun. Oh, good. Good. What a pleasure having you. And I'll obviously pop everything in the show notes that we've discussed about. But um, otherwise, hopefully the border's open and we can actually meet IRL. <laughs> in the flesh. It feels like honestly it feels so far away Mm. to like even contemplate i mean i'm in new south wales and i can't even get down to sydney it's just like oh the world hopefully it's going to be very different in a few months so i will keep you posted if i'm in your hood but um thank you so much again and have an amazing rest of the week thanks alan bye Thank you so much for listening to this interview. I'll pop everything to do with Jordana in the show notes. I highly suggest getting your hands on a copy of her books. They really are a game changer. If you're enjoying Lemonade, please subscribe, hit five stars, leave a positive review, share on social media. All of it really helps to connect this positive form of media with people who may really need it. I'll be back next Monday. Have a great week. Bye. 